Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transformed their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Now, if you have questions about funding for your business, today's show is one that you're going to want to stay tuned to because our guest is Judd Hollis. He is a pioneer in the field of crowdfunding, and he has multiple patents for web-based capital marketplace systems. He's the founder and chief inventor of EquityNet, and he leads the company's efforts to create and introduce innovative new products and services. Before he founded EquityNet in 2005, he served as the division manager for Beta Rubicon, which is a consulting firm that specializes in technology assessment and business due diligence services. Welcome to the show today, Judd. Thank you, Kelly. It's a delight to uh, to join you today, and I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we, we are very happy to have you here because one of the questions that I get a lot from the business owners that I work with on a daily basis is about funding, not having enough of it, not knowing which sources to go to for the different types of uh, funding they need, not you know not understanding the distinction between the different types of funding. And right now, we're hearing an awful lot about crowdfunding, but there's a lot of confusion about that. So just to get started here, in your words, what is crowdfunding? Uh, crowdfunding is really uh, it's really democratization of capital. That means um, if people want to think about, um, say, in the early 90s, if uh, the populace wanted to invest in their favorite stock or mutual fund, they had to go through more or less a broker, some intermediate person in order to do so. And everyone's familiar in the late 90s when you know the Ameritrades and the E-Trades emerged that really empowered this self-directed investment revolution in the public markets. So now the populace could fund these assets, these companies, public companies, that is, directly. And that's what crowdfunding represents is uh, allowing the populace to provide capital directly to their favorite startups or young private companies and to do so in a way where um, you know, dozens or even hundreds or even thousands of people can pool their money collectively together um, to provide sufficient capital for a company. And when you have those kinds of numbers, hundreds of people or more, you don't really have to have a, a great deal of money from each individual. So uh, companies on EquityNet and other platforms like Kickstarter are accumulating sizable amounts of capital from many individuals who put up maybe only, you know, thousands or a couple thousand dollars per person. Right. Now, it sounds pretty simple, the way you describe it, uh, but there are various crowdfunding models that are out there. What are some of those, and where does EquityNet fit into all that? Sure. Um, there are a couple different forms of crowdfunding or funding in general. And, by the way, this is a global phenomenon. It's right. not just restricted to here. In fact, some parts of the, the globe are actually more advanced than we are, mainly due to regulatory certainty. Um, there's a, a form called reward-based, and uh, most people probably have heard of Kickstarter, Indiegogo. They're the most popular uh, platforms for reward-based. And what that means is, for example, maybe a company 
wants to make a new game, some type of game to be played on the Xbox. Sure. And they tell the people, hey, if you fund us, we'll provide you the first game, the first version, you know. And so those people don't own any of the company. They're not getting a, a interest and principal back like a bank. They're simply getting some kind of reward from the company for, for helping fund them. Um, the two areas, though, of crowdfunding that are most applicable to the average business in the U.S. and that are also the, the fastest growing is debt crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding. Debt crowdfunding is, is essentially like obtaining money from a bank, although you're obtaining it, in this case, from individuals, and you will pay back, uh, them back both in principal and interest like you would a bank. Um, Kiva and Prosper.com are probably two of the most mature, best examples of, um, of debt crowdfunding, or sometimes it's called peer-to-peer lending. Right. And in the equity crowdfunding area, which is our focus, um, that is, uh, frankly, the most complicated form of crowdfunding, but it's also the most um, going to be the most active when the SEC completes its rulemaking and is really going to be probably the dominant portion of crowdfunding going forward because if people are willing to provide money to a company for a reward like a game, you can bet they'll be willing to provide money when they own a piece of the company and they can have a, a great ROI or profit in the future. So equity crowdfunding is very much uh, ownership and profit-driven, and we all know in in the investment culture, that's what really drives the greatest motivation amongst investors is when they can make money. Right. And so equity crowdfunding will entail just that, um, you know, dozens or hundreds of investors pooling their money together to fund the company, and they all own a respective ownership position, and someday in the future, hopefully, there'll be a liquidity event, and they'll make um you know, positive return, maybe substantial return. Now, where specifically does EquityNet fit into all of that? I noticed on your website that you have a place for investors and you have a place for entrepreneurs. Uh, talk to us about how your company works within this realm. Sure. Um, we, uh, EquityNet, having uh, filed multiple patents in 2005 and, and actually formed the company in 2005, is literally uh, the the first uh, company to to develop an equity crowdfunding platform and to really, frankly, anticipate that uh, deregulation was coming in the future. Because well back uh, back in 2004 and 5, we observed a trend by the SEC towards continuing relaxation of this model, and um, we literally went out and filed patents and, and funded a business model to capitalize on that with uh, a a legitimate uh, expectation that things would continue to be deregulated. Now, I can't say that we thought it would be as big as the Jobs Act, which was a very profound change. Um, So we were, of course, delighted to see that our expectations were were exceeded by by Congress. Um, And equity crowdfunding is, is definitely probably the hottest area right now in terms of of competitors of ours starting up to, to capitalize on it. There's dozens, if not hundreds, over 100 platforms worldwide uh, starting up to, to try to capitalize on this really enormous opportunity. So let's talk about the Jobs Act for just a minute here. We we hear a lot about it, and there's still um, some final rules that the SEC needs to put in place to allow for the equity-based crowdfunding. What are what are 
we waiting for, uh, and what could, if, if if it doesn't come out the way that we expect, what are some of the implications both ways uh, for it? Well, a little context. Historically, there have been occasions where there's been a, a, a bill, a new, a new uh, uh, congressional bill or, or law in the U.S. that required you know, subsequent interpretation and rulemaking by the SEC, that took a long time. I've been told by my counsel that there's examples of it taking 10 years for some things. Now, that's not going to happen with the JOBS Act. When they passed the JOBS Act about a year ago, most people expected at that time that the SEC would be done by around late 2012, early 2013. Um, as we entered this year, 2013, now the – or uh, now the current view is it's going to be around the end of 2013 when they are completed. What's been the holdup on it? Uh, that That is probably a more complicated question that I could answer, uh. other than to say there is a, there is a lot of historical uh, context for that, meaning it, it's not the most straightforward law to interpret and to uh, devise rules for. And, um, and uh. so... You know, like a lot of things uh, in, in, in terms of creating regulations, uh, I think it just takes time uh, to, to you know, uh, research it, to allow commentary periods, to uh, devise the rules, propose them, allow for further comment. Um, and, and I'm not sure the, the SEC yeah. did have a, um, a position change in the, uh, the chair of the SEC, so maybe that had some impact I'm, I'm I'm not sure about that. Well, and I think there's been some from and and you know that proposal period I'm very familiar with that with uh, new laws that are proposed, but I think there has been some concern to make sure that there's a balance that it this could be a wonderful tool. It could be as you say it's a democratization of of funding for a lot of aspiring and even established business owners, but at the same time I think some people are fearful that as you have with anything that's good, there are the people who come in and take advantage who use it for purposes that are not uh are not what it was intended. So there's a possibility to be scammed, I guess some people think. And so it seems that maybe there's just a been some consideration of trying to balance the, the good with the potential for misuse perhaps. I, I agree. I mean the the SEC is taking this very seriously as they should. Um I myself have been a long-term investor in mainly high-risk assets like uh, emerging technology companies, and I've actually experienced a couple frauds myself. Sure. And it is uh, it is definitely a a um, a long-term impact upon an investor psychology to experience a fraud, and so it's really important that the the industry and the SEC make a best effort and have uh, intelligent rules and mechanisms or technology or the all of them together, to uh, minimize, I don't think you'll ever eliminate entirely, but minimize um, uh, fraud and misrepresentation uh, so that investors who were comfortable at E-Trade investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds do not get turned off when they come and invest in in this private equity area. Sure. Um, Now, go ahead. uh, I was just going to expand, if if you'd like, upon... um, you know, the, the domain, there were a lot of people in the domain or the industry after the Jobs Act were very skeptical about uh, about this mechanism of, you know, investors going online, investing in, in young companies, wherein most of that's probably fully automated, where there's not, 
you know, really any uh, human analyst involved like a, a broker. More or less like an E-Trade where you're making your own decisions. Right. And a lot of people were concerned about fraud and, and excessive investor losses. Um, but, you know, the same concerns have been expressed in many uh, industries historically where there was e-commerce occurring online. All you have to do is look back at the beginning of when eBay was becoming popular. A lot of people were very skeptical that eBay would ever work because that, you know, people thought, well, what, I'm going to sell something to someone online and no guarantee of payment? But but there are so many ways in which you can develop, like eBay did, self-policing mechanisms, and you can leverage technology in some very sophisticated ways to help minimize fraud. Um, you know, if you look at Prosper.com, um, Prosper, like I said earlier, is a, a peer-to-peer uh, financing or peer-to-peer lending platform. And uh, on Prosper, you have individuals go to Prosper and they choose to um, provide financing to other individuals in the country that they don't know. And thus far, um, there's been about over $300 million that's transacted through Prosper, and the the uh, risk and return has been um, has been very, uh, I think, uh, rewarding for the investors, and the fraud has been minimized, and that's occurred through some innovative. Um, you know, uh, approaches of technology and, and of actually leveraging the population itself to kind of self-police uh, the Absolutely. platform. Yeah, absolutely. So so going back to our businesses, the ones who are using these platforms to try to gain the funding, what can they do to improve their chances of success with crowdfunding? And what do you see as contributing to failures when, when you put your business out there and nobody wants to invest in it? Um. Well, companies that are seeking to raise money via crowdfunding, uh, number one, they need to do the same things that companies for decades have been doing to be successful in raising capital, and that is obviously putting together uh, a great product or service, uh, a team, uh, a business plan, and any other tangible or intangible assets that they can uh, afford at their early stage to present a well-balanced opportunity for the investor. Um, and so, for example, at EquityNet, um, we go uh, to a great extent to help entrepreneurs do that by integrating. We're the only platform in the industry that integrates a very sophisticated business plan and analysis software so that at EquityNet, you don't necessarily have to go and, and develop a business plan in some kind of Word template. We have very sophisticated patented software that guides you through uh, modeling and characterizing your business opportunity, even if it's a concept in your head, and it actually then takes everything you've put in and it actually analyzes it. It compares you to your peers. It shows you how you stack up, and it gives you a, a great deal of feedback that allows you to refine your thinking and to refine your your presentation, essentially, to investors and to do all of that before you actually publish that mm-hmm. for any investor to see. So it's a great chance to improve your own thinking about your business, your planning, and your presentation, and to do so through very innovative software wherein the cost is very affordable. I mean, that what I just mentioned has been occurring for decades in our industry, but it's required a consultant who costs five or $10,000 or more. Our software has essentially automated much of that kind of feedback towards a very affordable price point. 
Okay. So essentially with this software, you put in your concept, you, you feed in the data, and the software will analyze it, show you where the gaps are, show you how you can improve it, t- take a look at it from an investor's perspective, and tell you what's lacking or missing. That's excellent. I couldn't have said it better myself, yes. Okay. Well, and, and that does sound like a, a pretty uh, sophisticated tool that, that could bring a lot of value to our listeners and to others out there. Now, when you talk about crowdfunding, uh, a lot of people think that these are startup companies or they're companies that you know, they're still in the concept stage and haven't even started up yet. Is that typically where the crowdfunding deals are made, or can established companies who are trying to spin off a new product or division um, are they achieving any kind of success? Is this a platform that they might want to look at as well? Actually, it's a it's a great question you asked about what types of companies are using crowdfunding, mm-hmm. and given that that EquityNet has been operating a crowdfunding platform for for over five years. Um, we actually recently, just in, in February, released the first report of its kind on U.S. equity crowdfunding activity. And what this report uh, demonstrates is, and we looked at over a 1,000 companies that have used EquityNet to raise capital, and the the report is a series of charts and stats that show you know, where in the country are companies active in raising capital? What sectors, what type of companies in terms of industry sector are using crowdfunding? How much capital are they seeking on average? What kind of valuations are they asking? Um, how much revenue do they currently have or not have? Um, you know, all of these stats, it tells you the type of companies that are using crowdfunding. We produced in this report, and it's available on our blog at equitynet.com. So it's, I think it's a great report. It's been quoted a lot in our industry because it's the first glimpse of its kind um, into the types of companies. The biggest findings or conclusions from that study uh, was that um, two industries that were previously very underserved by venture capitalists uh, are are the the most active areas in, in seeking crowdfunding, and that's consumer product service companies and business product service and companies. Very interesting. Yes, the, those two areas, if you look at a pie chart, they're almost 50% of all equity crowdfunding activity, those types of companies. If you look at a pie chart for venture capitalists, they hardly invest in those type companies. And so crowdfunding is serving this previously greatly underserved area. Um, in addition, when you look at the geographic uh, uh, location or geographic distribution of companies uh, using equity funding, it's very even. It's not focused on the West Coast or Northeast. It's pretty much uh, equally distributed across the U.S., and that is what you would expect because crowdfunding occurs through the Internet, which is ubiquitous. It's everywhere at this point. So right. It's so equal. to your yeah, to your earlier point, the democratization. Exactly. Uh, right. Exactly. Okay. So really quick here. Uh, Let's say you go in and you get uh, your first round essentially through crowdfunding. Are you seeing that the companies who participate in crowdfunding and get their initial round that way are then able to be more attractive and eventually acquire more traditional venture capital funds uh, or or have a better chance at bank loans? Where do you see, uh, with the data that you currently have, where do you see that trending? Is is that something that is made more um, – Oh, I don't want to say more easy because getting funding is never easy, but that it's 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 
it provides a, a better foundation for getting those later, those other types of more traditional funding. Well, actually, you know, if if you just if you reflect upon the the types of companies I mentioned that are using crowdfunding, those are typically not the type of companies that would even appeal to venture capitalists. And so, I think, you know, cr- being that crowdfunding is serving predominantly right now an area that was largely overlooked or unattractive to venture capitalists. Um, it's not. I don't think it's necessarily being used as a stepping stone for additional venture capital. In fact, when you look at the stats uh, in terms of funding success rates and timing and cost of crowdfunding, I think most of those companies decide to never go back to venture capitalists to always use crowdfunding, even if they need additional capital. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, let me give you some stats. Uh, historically, the average company... Uh, had about a three to five percent odds of obtaining funding uh, from people outside their friends and family, true external investors. Very low odds. Well, when you look at equity crowdfunding, you're seeing success rates averaging, you know, say twenty to thirty percent uh, at EquityNet and other platforms. So the success rates are are maybe you know five to ten x the industry average. Another key metric is time to money. Um, I've raised lots of capital for EquityNet in the past through traditional means, uh, and it can take a very long time. It can take four months, six months, even a year sometimes to raise money. With equity crowdfunding online and given the efficiencies that that you have when you use a platform like ours and with the volume of people that you can get uh, get exposed to or, or engage, you're also finding that the time to money, time to capital is also much accelerated. I mean, you're talking uh, a couple months or even sometimes weeks uh, for the most popular deals. Um, and then lastly, the cost. Uh, it's called cost of capital or, or the, the cost of raising capital. Um, for young companies, if it takes six months or eight months to raise capital, that means that's a lot of time I'm spending on spinning my wheels or raising capital and I'm not building my business. Right. That's a very costly result. Or you may yeah, or you may be missing a, a sweet spot in the marketplace eight months later that's evaporated perhaps. Yeah, I know companies that do nothing but probably raise money for the first couple of years and they don't really make any mm-hmm. progress from maturing their business because it's so time consuming. Right. Yeah, and you, as you said, it's it's very su- a successful uh, platform. EquityNet, in particular, being the original crowdfunding funding platform, you've raised over two hundred million dollars for your companies, if I remember right. Is that correct? That's correct. We uh, we conduct uh, surveys of our of our entrepreneurs and um, have verified that at minimum it's uh, two hundred million. Um, so, and, and one important point is. You know, uh, people may ask on your on the show or listen to the show, well, how can EquityNet be running a equity crowdfunding platform when the SEC is not done yet? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because we've been running an equity crowdfunding platform in the what's called Reg D area, the area that is has been allowed uh, to to fund young companies for decades now. What that means is accredited investors, those. Uh, Per the um, uh, uh, Act of 1933, Glass Eagle Act, who qualifies as a regular investor, can and have been participating online in platforms like EquityNet for, for you know probably about a decade. Um, what the Jobs Act does, and so those accredited investors uh, that is mentioned who can participate on EquityNet as we speak and have for many years, 
they have to have either a million dollars in net worth or make a couple hundred thousand dollars in income for the past couple of years to qualify as an accredited investor and be allowed to invest in these types of companies. Mm-hmm. What the Jobs Act does is it now opens the door for what you call non-accredited investors, those who are below the numbers I just mentioned, right. to now participate just like the accredited investors have. Mm-hmm. And the numbers are substantial. According to various experts, um, the body of accredited investors you know, who have been funding companies for decades uh, number about a couple of million people in the U.S. who control around maybe a trillion dollars in p- total portfolio capital. Now, that's money in stocks, bonds, and private equity. That's their total portfolio. Sure. And what's the, how's the job act going to change that? It's amazing. It increases the number from maybe a couple million to over 50 million people and from one trillion to maybe over five trillion. Yeah. So now, again, that doesn't mean the whole five trillion was, is going to come into crowdfunding, but even if people allocate 5% of their portfolio, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it's going to be a significant increase. So if you had to leave our listeners today with one thought about crowdfunding or just funding of their businesses in general, what would it be? Uh, It would be to build a wonderful uh, business concept and, and presentation in terms of business plan, do your homework, do your research, have at least uh, yourself and maybe one or two other team members ready to go uh, with the startup that are impressive, um, and um, and uh, use uh, both equity crowdfunding platforms like EquityNet and approach your own you know manual network of people that you know to give yourself the best odds. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, understand that even if you go online to raise money at a place like EquityNet, it, it's still um, going to be uh, going to take some time, and it's, the investors are going to want certain amounts of information from you. But understand that raising money is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do in building a business, but that platforms like EquityNet are making it easier. What used to be you know, uh, virtually impossible for some people now is very doable. And uh, that um, once you do so, once you capitalize your company and you've put together all these wonderful attributes I mentioned that you'll really have a great pathway going forward to grow your business. Um, So uh, if if you do want to uh, find out more, uh, visit uh, equitynet.com. There's actually some free crowdfunding tools we have. We have a risk calculator. We have a valuation calculator. People can just go and, and and try those out to, to see what their business risk may be or business valuation, even at a startup stage. So equitynet.com, and go out there, lots of tools, as Judd just mentioned, and you can also probably see some of the other companies that uh, are are out there and featured on the website. But as you said, whether you're using traditional funding, whether you're using crowdfunding or attempting to use it, the same fundamentals apply. You have to have a good product. You have to have a good business plan. You have to have a good team that is participating in the in the project or in the company, uh, you're going to be evaluated by the same types of standards if you're interested in getting any kind of significant investment. So uh, no no trick to that. It's just good, solid uh, planning, good, uh, solid business model. So thank you so much for your time today, Judd. Uh, lots of good insights. As I said, there's been a lot of confusion on this topic, and I think that you helped to uh, cut through a lot of that. And it sounds like equitynet.com is doing a great job in the marketplace. So best of luck to you, and uh, again, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Kelly. I really enjoyed it.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.